Thanks for listening today. If you want to know more about The Lucas Project, find us at thelucasproject.org. If you want to know more about my story, head to justplusthemess.com, and while there, subscribe to my monthly newsletter, or maybe check out my memoir, Sunlight Burning at Midnight. In the meantime, please hit subscribe and maybe leave a quick review. These are so important in the podcast world as they help us gain traction and recognition, which translates into helping more caregivers. And until our next conversation, let's do what we do best. Just keep living. Hi, Misty. Thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule to join me today on the podcast. And to begin, can you just tell our listeners a little bit about who you are? Yeah. Hey, thanks so much for having me here. I'm excited to be with you today. I am Misty Phillip. I am a wife and a mom of three grown boys. And I am an author and a speaker and a podcaster and I teach other people how to, uh, to start and grow their podcast, and I host virtual and live events. So it is a very, very busy, full life, um, but it's a good one. Yeah, you sound a lot like me. Um, <laughs> just go, go, go. And you're in the middle of Spark Conference. Yeah, is that what Spark, you have going on? Okay. Yeah, Spark Media Conference. We're hosting it this year at the national religious broadcasting so it is all of the things for my conference but then there's all the things that are happening along with the nrb so it's it's kind of a big deal and i've done the whole thing in three months so it has absolutely been a whirlwind that is amazing and i would love to learn more about that at some point um but this is coffee with caregivers and on this podcast we dive deeply into the world of special needs and you are also a special needs mama can you share a little bit about that yeah so our special son um his name is connor and connor is 22 and we you know started um connor's had problems from birth actually from before birth um you know, they didn't see his lungs moving. And so they said, hey, we're going to, we're going to take him with a C-section, um, but in the morning. So stay in the hospital overnight. And I'm like, well, if his lungs aren't moving, like, shouldn't you take him now? Mm-hmm. Like, um, and so the doctor came and, and he was born fine, except for he had club feet. And um, they, that was not something that they saw on an ultrasound. They didn't do ultrasounds back then as much as they do now. And, um, you know, we didn't know that he had club feet. And so that was kind of the first indication that he was, his life was going to be a little bit different. And the first doctor that cast him, cast him too tight. And we almost lost his legs, his um, toes and feet had all turned purple. And we rushed to the emergency room and the emergency room doctor said, if he would not have brought him in, he would have lost his legs. And so as and I say that just to say that Connor's life has been one that has been marked by extreme difficulty, but at the same time, God's amazing grace has, has um, you know, been all over his life as well. And um, we, I could spend probably the next hour or two telling you all of the things that we have, have been through. Um, it was, it's been a very twisty windy road to get a diagnosis for Connor um 
and all of the things that we've been through with him. So what is his diagnosis today? Well, his diagnosis today is autoimmune encephalitis. Okay. And so he contracted encephalitis as a baby. And um, can you explain what that is? Yeah. So his brain swelled and, um, and I probably need a better explanation of it, but the, the autoimmune part is, is, you know, where your body causes a reaction that attacks your own body. So basically as a baby, his body had created a reaction where his brain was continuously being attacked. Okay. If you've heard of a brain being on fire, mm -hmm. his brain was on fire and he would scream and cry at the top of his lungs. Um, and then he started having seizures and he seized continuously. So the seizures were hours apart um, until they were coming almost continuously. And um, after about three days of seizing, they filled him full of phenobarbital. And this and, is when he's an infant. Yeah, like, I okay. mean, at this point, he's probably, probably about 14, 15 months. Okay. Um, I mean, he's, because um, this was after one of his shots. And so what we believe happened is after he had um, the shot, his body was not healthy um, where normally he could have had the shot and maybe been fine. He was already compromised. Okay. He had like 18 ear infections in the first year of his life. And he's just the kid that's had everything. So then, um, you know, we go to the doctor and then uh, he went to the hospital for his surgery and he contracted RSV while he was in the hospital. And so then he had casts all the way up to his diaper and, you know, had a diarrhea virus for two months. Oh. And, you know, um, so we got the rotavirus and then he got the RSV and it was literally just one thing after another. And he wasn't walking when he was supposed to. And we weren't sure if that was because of all of the problems with his feet and his legs. And he was in and out of the hospital with surgery for that. But then he wasn't talking when he was supposed to. And that phenobarbital had made him just limp you know, and just really in that sort of key developmental time between the age of one and two, um, he really didn't do much. And so we worked really hard. We did every therapy possible known to man, um, you know, starting with a, a PPCD program. Then we decided to homeschool him and he was in uh, sound therapy and occupational therapy and speech therapy and physical therapy and horse therapy and water therapy and <laughs> all the therapies. I mean, literally anything that, that we could do, you know, yep. we did for him. And, um, and at that point they had diagnosed him with PDD, which um, PDD not otherwise specified, which is an autism spectrum disorder. And I think because he didn't talk when he was supposed to, he had some kind of like, autistic like behavior, some weird behaviors, right? Where he, mm -hmm. he had a lot of, lot of sensory issues um, when he was growing up and, um, and we, we really didn't know. I mean, it was kind of like, he's probably this. And, uh, and so, but we knew it quite, it didn't quite fit because he, he was fun and funny, even though his language wasn't 
was limited for a while. I mean, he, he was nonverbal. Now he's not super verbal now, but he does have some words and he can communicate with us. But um, that was another piece that, that they thought, well, he's just on the autism spectrum. And it was after I broke both of my arms and we didn't pay our insurance payment because everybody was taking care of mama uh, with two broken arms and me not, unable to do anything. Connor was on a, um, on a COBRA policy and COBRA drops you instantly if you don't pay the COBRA policy. And at that point, he was going to a school for, uh, for kids on the spectrum and, you know, it was like $5,000 a month and there was no wow. way. Was insurance covering that? Insurance was covering it, but once we, which is why we kept him on a COBRA policy, because that COBRA policy was paying it, and once um, once they dropped the policy, you know, he had to come home, and I just cried out to God, and I was like, God, I have two broken arms. I can't even take care of myself. I can't do anything. How am I supposed to take care of him, and what am I supposed to do? And it was really um, a prayer of desperation. And I just said, God, for your name's sake and for your glory, will you please intervene in this situation? And I just really just was at the end of myself and I cried out to God. And um, in a couple of weeks, when in just like a, just in the course of normal life, you know, sometimes miracles can happen. And my husband was listening to Glenn Beck on the radio. He, he talked about having a brain injury and seeing this doctor in Dallas who was amazing and we live in Houston so we got in touch with um, the, the doctor we made an appointment and he mapped out on a, on a wall um, about 15 feet wide like Connor's whole journey and he said when this happened this happened this you know he like he said now I'm not sure he said but my you know, I believe that it's encephalitis and it's um, an autoimmune response. And he said, we have to do a blood test to check to see if he has those antibodies. And sure enough, we got the blood test and we found out that um, what we didn't know for probably 12, 13 years, um, because at this point, even longer than that, because at this point, Connor was 16 when we got the proper diagnosis. Oh so my goodness. time he was three until 16, he was misdiagnosed. In the doctor's opinion, was it kind of a domino effect? Like one thing caused another, caused another, caused another. Like I don't want to necessarily get into the vaccine controversy, but. Yes, that's what you, he said. He said there was okay. a point of entry where his, you know, he, he, he said it could have been, um, you know, even strep throat can go to the brain. Okay. And um, so there was something that, like his immune system was weak. It was attacked. And then the, um, his body just continued to attack his brain. Okay. And, and he had the seizures. And so, yeah, it was literally just kind One of. thing yes. after another. And yeah, I mean, there are lots of opinions surrounding vaccines and their safety. And, but you know, the reality is, is you are the fourth mother I've interviewed who the other three all have huge settlements from the pharmaceutical companies who have admitted that a vaccine did cause an injury in their child. So yes, most of the time they're safe, but there can be incidents when 
it can react to a particular child's body and cause something like this. Is that what the doctor's opinion was as well, who you spoke to when Connor was 16? Yeah, well, and let me tell you this. He was very careful about, um, about saying whether it was a vaccine or not, but he said there was some point of, of, of injury that occurred. Mm -hmm. uh, but I just had lunch with two of my friends who have uh, boys that are the same age as Connor. And um, in our talking, they, all of our boys had some form of reaction. So one um, after his shot had ITP, which is um, a blood disorder. Another one had some other things. And I said, do y'all realize that we all got our boys vaccinated at the same time? Mm -hmm. So I'm wondering if there was within that time frame and in the, those batches, um, because they all had a reaction. Um, I think Connor's immune system was not strong enough to be able to handle because he had been on you know, like 15 antibiotics that first year of his life. Because oh, wow. He was, right. He, so I was... know now, I mean, now I know, you know, you need to replace your, you know, your, your health is in our gut and there's mm -hmm. that gut brain connection. And, but I did what at, I, I, the doctor told me every time we would give him another antibiotic, not realizing that we were actually weakening his immune system. Mm -hmm. And when you know better, you do better. I used to be antibiotic happy too. And then realizing that it was wiping out every good thing in my body every single time I took another <laughs> Z-pack or whatever it would be. But how are you feeling as a mother, as you are listening to this news from the doctor, as he maps out your son's whole life, basically on this big whiteboard, like what's going through your mind? Is it guilt? Is it despair? Is it hope? What does that look like? It was actually hope because we had a name for it. And, and with, with a um, autism spectrum disorder, whether it's, um, you know, which part of that spectrum it's on, there's no cure for that. And there's not a lot of hope there. I mean, you can do a lot of treatment and um, a lot of different things. But when we found out that there was something that we could do for him, I think that gave me renewed hope that um that we could do something so we began uh very very expensive treatments for him um they they cost five thousand dollars a month too um and so that was uh, a, a struggle what do his needs look like today and how do they not only affect his life but how do they affect your life as a caregiver and as a family yeah so Connor, like I mentioned, his language is very limited. It's so limited. And, um, but at the same time, he's so, he is, he is a typical, like what I would say, a typical teenager. You know, he wants to play video games and listen to music and do the things that his brothers do, you know. And, and so in a lot of ways, he is, is a typical teenager but he struggles as a result of, um, he has pretty severe OCD. Okay. And so I think that's probably the main, in addition to not having the language to communicate with people. Now we can understand Connor, um, you know, really well, and he um, can express his needs and, 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 it's, and part of that is because we know him. And I think when people first see him, they don't think anything's wrong with him because he doesn't 
you know, he doesn't look like he has some kind of condition. So people will talk to him and then he'll say hi and they'll say hi. And then, you know, his conversation from there sort of degrades because okay. he will get, um, if he gets excited, you know, when we're meeting new people or whatever, he, he, he will babble, um, you know, but so when we're at home, we have to make him like slow down, tell me what you want to say. And so he does that for us at home, but it, it doesn't always translate well when we're out and about. So, um, you know, I know one of the, the questions that you ask people is about a transition plan. You know, Connor's been out of school for a while we've been doing um, home therapies with them and actually right now we're not doing any therapies with them and it's amazing that he is he is growing and changing and maturing so I don't know if it has to do with with his age or um or his schedule or he's not so stressed from like his his environment is less structured um, but he seems to be functioning much better. That's funny you say that because we saw so much growth with our Luke during quarantine. Um, when we started, he just had a few words that he could vocalize. And by the time he went back to school, he probably had about 50 words or so. And just hanging out with his siblings and they would do these flashcards. And I think it was almost like, if he was going to be heard in our busy, chaotic home, he was going to have to figure out how to speak, you know, what he needed. Yeah. And, um, and yeah, maybe it was part of that structure too, just not having so much structure in their lives because it, like every moment is pretty much structured with therapies or whatever it may be. And it was difficult for sure having him home for that long of a period of time, but we saw so much growth in him. So you may be onto something with that theory. Well, yeah. And I know with Connor, with having a brain injury, um, you know, everything can be overwhelming. And so if you think about like, if, if he's at a school and he's having to sit in a classroom and just like, just being able to do that is, there's a, there's so many things, the lights, the people that there's a lot of stress that, that's affecting him. And so mm -hmm. I think because he's in his home and it's his natural environment and he's comfortable. I think that had to do with it a lot. And, um, you know, like I said, he's, he's like a, a teenager in many ways, but his development is literally all over the map. Okay. So like he watches, um, uh, like a preschool show that he loves a girl named Katie. Katie's classroom and uh you know he has the um the closed caption on and he'll he'll read the words and listen to what she's saying and sing the songs and um I'll hear him up there in his room you know singing uh, the ABCs or row row your boat or you know whatever and so you know he's all over the place so mm -hmm. some respects you know, he, like I said, is very much like his older and younger brother, um, where he plays video games and does all that stuff. But then at the same time, like he's very innocent and ha happy and sweet and loves to sing. And um, it's like content watching preschool show. Right. Yeah. Lucas too. Um, what does the future look like for him? Do you have any thoughts about that? Like job, college? stay with you residential like what are your thoughts surrounding that 
Yeah. Well, he doesn't read. Um, and because he doesn't read, that's kind of a huge, um, a huge thing. You know, he won't go to college. And our plan for him is to stay home with us. And um, I know that might not be a, a popular plan with other people, but. Um, oh, no, I think it's the more popular plan. I think my plan is not the popular plan, which is, I, I mean, my dream is to find a, a good residential home at some point that I feel a piece about and, um, you know, let Luke fly the coop just like the other ones. But I think your plan is probably more the, the general plan that most special needs parents have. You know, it's just so hard because when your child has limited language, um, the way I feel about it is God has entrusted us to be his parents. And I don't want to send him into the world where um, he could be harmed and, and couldn't tell us or, or couldn't say anything because things can happen and it can change the course of, of his life. Um, and so I'm just very protective in that. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, we do have a, a day program that is near us that um, I think I'm going to check out for him. And it's baby steps. If, if um, you know, it's something that we do with our kids, we pray for them continuously. And I am a true believer that if we are seeking God with all of our hearts, um, that he's going to direct our steps. And so if he wants something different for Connor, um, then I know that he will guide us and direct us and lead us to that. When um, Connor was younger, we actually looked at buying a dude ranch in Wyoming because my husband said, well, we could have this dude ranch and I could teach Connor how to work with the horses. And um, so we've had lots and lots of ideas over the years about what he could do. Um, but right now our plan is to have him here with us. My husband works from home. I work from home. Our, um, our youngest son just graduated from um, high school and he decided not to go to college. So he's still at home, but he has his own company. And so right now we have a, a family business and, and, um, you know, we want to involve him in that. So we're taking him to the conference with us and we're going to have him help us haul boxes and, you know, move things and, and be a part of it because we want him to be a part of our family business. That's wonderful. And it has to be so individualized for each family. You know, what works for your family might not work for my family or vice versa or whatever. And you're right. You need to and we're both believers, seek the Lord. And I believe he gives a peace when you're walking in obedience and he reveals his plan for your family situation. And I love it that he can be incorporated in something like that. You know, my Luke, it would be way too much and he would just scream and holler, all done, all done. <laughs> and he would want to go home. He wouldn't want anything to do with it. Um, what's often misunderstood about your life or Connor's life that you would like to explain? You know, I think it's just, I think it's really hard for, um, for us as special parents to have, uh, like to have friends when he was growing up. I don't think my friends understood what to do or, or really what their, I think their kids didn't know how to respond to Connor, right? And so because Connor was different, um, we, we would see kids that we would, would 
would go out of their way to befriend Connor and be sweet and kind. And then there were other kids that um, didn't want to be around him, thought he was weird, thought he was strange. And, you know, that was hard. And those years were, um, were painful because I had friends that had kids the same age and we wouldn't get invited to do the birthday party or the thing. And in so many ways that had, um, it was hard on our a mama's heart. Uh, but at the same time, it caused our family to, um, to get really close to one another. And I think that that was a blessing because both my older son and my younger son are incredible young men. And I think because they had their brother um, is, is part of the reason why they're such incredible men because they're patient and, um, you know, they didn't always, they didn't get to go and do things even with their friends when they were growing up, you know, because Connor was super, you know, super sound sensitive. And so we couldn't go anywhere that was loud when he was young. Mm-hmm. And so just those different adjustments that we had to make, I know were difficult on him. And so I just wish that people would not be afraid of special kids and that they would um, teach their kids to love and um, because they're humans these special kids are all created in the image of God and God does not show any favoritism or partiality. And we know that. And so to teach our kids to be kind and loving and gentle and respect, but also to try to even befriend, like try to get into their world, mm-hmm. uh, not ignore them. Because I know with Connor, there was a lot that um, because he didn't talk, um, you know, I think people thought that he didn't understand, but he understood everything we were saying. And so, um, you know, I would just encourage people to um, see them as an individual and to, um, and to, to treat them the way that they would treat anybody else. Yeah, that's good. And I echo that sentiment about the siblings too. I look at how Lucas has impacted his brothers and sisters and they have turned out to be amazingly compassionate, kind, patient people who are really kind to all other children too. And I think for us, it's been more of um, the adults who sort of recoil with Luke. The children have been more accepting that Luke comes in contact with, like they're curious and will ask questions. But I've had adults like as Luke reaches out to touch them or he'll often try to lick people to figure out what they're all about. And they like recoil and disgust or say gross or whatever. And that hurts my heart. Like he doesn't, he's not trying to be gross. He doesn't understand what he's doing. And um, so, yeah, I, I hear that. And it's amazing how these kids influence the world for better, really. Yeah, no, I was gonna say when, when Connor was little, he would, he would, he carried a Bible around everywhere he went. So it was a sensory thing for him because he's constantly had to have something in his hands. He's had to hold something mm-hmm. to, for his proprioceptive, uh, you know, sense for him to really kind of understand where his body is in space. And, and he's um, been very like clenched with his fists. Um, but he used to carry a Bible around and we would go to the grocery store 
And it, we would like see these older people with like a hard expression on their face. And he would just look up like a little cherub angel with this Bible in his hand. And he would say hi. And he just would fill people with joy. It's mm -hmm. really hard, I think, for people to understand how much joy um, can be contained in, in our special kids. Yeah, I agree. And how the caregiving journey is holy work. Like I mentioned this on another podcast too. I almost feel sorry for people who haven't experienced it because it will change you like nothing else. You know, caring for somebody else who basically needs most of their needs met by you, their caregiver. And it will chisel away so much stuff in your life and make you into a better human being and it's it's holy work yeah I, I fully agree with that what as you think about your own caregiving journey what are some ways that people have surrounded your family in the past and where do you see a need overall for people to step up and help caregivers yeah, so because I'm really strong and independent and I homeschooled my kids, there were a lot of years that we, I had a, a good church and I had a good friend group, but it was, a, for us, I think it was a lot of times a very lonely journey um, and we didn't have a lot of extra caregiving. We We didn't we didn't drop our kids off. Um, we had grandma next door, so that was really great. Grandma helped us out. Oh yeah, huge perk. Yeah, we didn't do, um, because our kids weren't in school. I mean, our life was a little bit different. There was a point in time though that I was really, really struggling um, because my parent, my, um, my in-laws lived next door and they both had brain tumors and I had just lost a baby and had Connor and he was, um, you know, struggling with just basic developmental things. And I was homeschooling the other boys it was really, really a lot. And so I had reached out to a lady in my church and, um, my father-in-law was at that point, he was dying and, the fact that she would just come to our home and her sweet, kind um, demeanor and her presence and the work that she was doing with Connor was so huge. I mean, she would just do things like teach him to take out the trash. And I know that's not a big deal uh, to some people, but for us, it was a step in the right direction in terms of him being independent mm -hmm. and being able to do something. And um, I was so desperate at that point and just really needed somebody to step in. So, so yeah, somebody who just came alongside you, no judgment, just yeah. got into the muck with you and did what needed to be done. Yeah. And I had, um, we did uh, piano and violin lessons in our home and I had some sweet girls that would come and uh, and teach the boys music. And one day uh, our regular girl was gone and her sister filled in and um, I went to go run an errand. And when I came back, not only had she um, taught the boys their music lesson, she had gone into my filthy kitchen <laughs> and had cleaned the whole thing, like scrubbed it from top to bottom. And it was just such an incredible blessing. Um, 
Yeah, that would bless the socks off of me. <laughs> like, <laughs> thank you so much for doing my dishes right? <laughs> or folding my laundry. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so little things like that. But I think along the way, you know, I did try to stay connected to my friends and would go out with them um, about, you know, every six weeks. I had a really great friend group and we would celebrate each other's birthdays and and so we would go out together and, um, and celebrate our birthdays and just have that girl time and, and just to be able to get away from it all, I think was an important part of, of my self-care journey. And my husband and I now, um, you know, we're dating a lot these days, which has been really healthy for our marriage because we have our youngest son still living at home and we know that that time is short. So we've actually taken some trips where we've left um, our, our two boys at home together, but we're really trying to take advantage of this time because we know that um, we're, that time is, is, is dwindling. And so as long as um, our youngest son is here. We're kind of taking advantage of that. Yeah. So your youngest son watches Connor and that goes well. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah he's 19 and, um, you know, very mature and, um, yeah, they, they just hang out and, uh, have a good time when we're gone. So that's nice. We, um, our 16 year old daughter is able to do that for us probably weekly with Luke. We try to just do a short date night, you know, two or three hours. Um, our kids can't spend the night with Luke because he is incontinent and, um, you know, needs assistance in every aspect of his life with bathing and eating and everything. But they can give us a couple hours and that's just such a blessing just to be able to get away for a few hours and regroup and connect without children. And that's, that's wonderful that you guys are taking advantage of that. Yeah, we need that um, so that we can come back refreshed. And we yep. I hear you. We do too. Well, I have three takeaway questions I like to ask all of my guests. The first one is, how has being a caregiver changed you? Well, I think you hit the nail on the head. Um, it strips away uh, so many things in our life. And I think one of the reasons why I am fruitful in my ministry now is because God had to strip me away of so many things to, um, you know, you were talking about um, your son being incontinent. That was one thing that I really, for Connor, um, worked really, really hard to, um, to try to teach him to be independent and, um, and his bathroom skills, right? Mm -hmm. We were going through this really hard time where I was trying to teach him how to go to the bathroom and he's smearing poop on the wall. Mm -hmm. and at the same time, when I have uh, my older son's speech and debate partner and his mom, so here I am, you know, like trying to impress this other woman with all this stuff. And here my son is like smearing poop all over the bathroom. <laughs> It's very, very humbling. Yes, it is. <laughs> and I think that, um, I think that's, a, it is a gift. It, mm -hmm. it is a gift. Um, it's been really difficult, you know, all of the, all of those kinds of things, but it, it's, it's made me the person that I am today. And so for that, I'm grateful. Yeah. I don't know if you can relate to this, but I feel like 
to with this book that I'm about to launch and then another book and like my audience is kind of growing quickly and you know there's some momentum and but having Lucas in my life and I don't mean this negatively but you know the Apostle Paul talks about like this thorn in his side and Luke isn't a thorn but he is something that will continuously keep me humble through the rest of my life which is a good thing when you know you're releasing books and there's potential there for you to start to kind of get a big head and think you're maybe more than you're than you are and then you know I have to still rise every morning and change a grown man's diaper and that will bring you to your knees very quickly or I still have to rise every day and feed him you know bite by bite because he's not capable of doing that or put him in the bathtub and take him out of the bathtub and put his clothes on and you know on and on and on so there's a gift in that too because it does keep you on your knees constantly seeking the Lord's wisdom and grace I think because it's like manna for the moment you just need to get you just need enough manna for that one day yeah. and these kids keep you so present too Absolutely. and yeah I it, it has been a life-changing experience for me second question if you had one hour all to yourself how would you spend it well I would either take a walk because um, I think it's just really good for my stress level. I would sit and read a book or um, read my Bible. Um, I'm pretty boring. But <laughs> I just, um, you know, I am very intentional with everything in my life. So to have a minute to just to break away from my work, to be able to get outside and exercise or, or to take you know, quiet time, um, just to be able to sit and read because Connor's really loud and our house is loud a lot because he's loud. Um, and so just, I think just to have a quiet to read and, or to go walk, that would, that's what I would do. I'm a walker too. I try to get my 30 minutes in every morning and I'm very intentional as well. Um, I think you and I tick tick similarly yeah. <laughs> and how we do life. You know, people say, I don't know how you do it all. I'm a really good multitasker and I'm very intentional about my time. So every minute, you know, I know what I'm doing until five o'clock and then I'm done. Then I log off. I'm done. I walk away. Um, but that's the only way you can do it really. That's right. And last but not least, how many cups of coffee are you drinking these days? <laughs> Well, not enough because I've only had one this morning. Oh boy. <laughs> and because, because I'm in this crazy season, my schedule is really off right now. Um, my husband works a full-time job, um, although he's at home working from home. And then he's helping me with all of the technical things. So anything that is website related or, um, we had to create all of the signage for our conference and um, creating a, a cohesive brand and all of the things, the program, the badges, you know, so he helps me with all of those things. He also produces my podcast. And so um, we're a little bit off of our schedule because he's a night owl and I'm a morning girl. Mm -hmm. I've been staying up a little bit later than I should. And so I'm probably drinking more coffee than I need to these days. That's not a bad thing. <laughs> <laughs>
Well, thank you so much for joining me. Where can people find you if they want to learn more about all the things you have going on? Yeah, so mistyphilip.com is my personal website and sparkmedia.ventures is my business podcast website. But they can find me online pretty much everywhere as Misty Philip. And I would love to connect. Make sure you don't put an S on it. Everybody's like Phillips, but it's not a Phillips, it's a Philip. So funny you said that because that's how I wrote your name down today because I just always want to make sure I know how to pronounce it you know and right. then and then I looked you up and I was like "Ooh, there's no s on the end <laughs> so um okay that sounds good and you mentioned you have a podcast as well what yeah. is the name of that yeah it's called by his grace okay and, um currently in this season I'm in season three and I am talking about chasing your dreams and following God and being obedient and learn dreaming again after your dreams have been crushed. And um, those are kind of some of the topics we're talking about this year. Okay. I love it. All right. Check her out, everyone. And thanks again. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Jess. All right. Have a good day. Hi friends, welcome to Coffee with Caregivers. I'm your host, Jess Ronnie, also known as Jess Plus The Mess. I'm an author, speaker, and founder of The Lucas Project, a nonprofit dedicated to bringing recognition, resources, and respite to special needs families. I created Coffee with Caregivers as a space to bring awareness to the struggles that families often face, including difficulties related to finances, mental health, and everything else in between. It is my belief that stories can change the world, and through conversations with caregivers, I hope to provide awareness which will lead to compassion and resources. Thanks for joining me today, but first a word from our sponsors.